because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Michael. Good evening. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can uh, gather this evening around your word. We thank you for the scriptures that you have given us, and we pray now that as we come to them, that they indeed would be useful for training and correcting and rebuking, uh, that we would be equipped for every good work as your servants. Amen. Well, can you think of the big things that have happened in the news in the past week? I can think of a couple. The, uh, the Ben Robert Smith defamation case has been thrown out of the courts, you might have heard. There has been at least two shootings in the past four days in Sydney. Um, the Senate, down in Canberra, has been grilling all sorts of people about breaches of trust at PricewaterhouseCoopers, and succession has ended. All of these big issues have as their goal the seeking of truth and clarity. The courts are there to discover the truth. Investigations are there to gain more clarity around a particular issue and get to the truth. A TV series finale finally gives clarity to a suspenseful series. Police trying to uncover the truth of a crime that has been committed and the media and journalism in general are seeking answers. They are seeking truth and clarity on all sorts of issues. They are all trying to uncover the truth and provide clarity. Life is much easier when there is truth and clarity to each and every situation, isn't it? Which is probably why life can sometimes feel so hard. Often there is not truth. We are lied to. We are cheated. The wool is pulled over our eyes. We are dealt in only half-truths with an aim to deceive. And often there is not clarity. We don't know what we're doing, what we're supposed to be, where we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to listen to, what the rules of engagement are, what we're supposed to focus our energy on. Well, God cuts right through the noise of society and he speaks into our world with words of truth. Today, we're looking at the importance of the Bible. Jesus himself has said this. He said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it in Luke 11. The Bible is the inspired word of God given to us. It is alive and it is active, and it has at its core the words of eternal life, the saving gospel of Jesus. That is why we believe that it is important, essential, and useful. Well, we are in the New Testament today, and in the second of Paul's letters to Timothy. 
Paul, as you know, is the apostle to the Gentiles, selected by God to take the gospel to the nations, those people who are not Israelites. The mission has seen him go on several missionary journeys. He has planted numerous churches and he has taught and reasoned with Jews and Gentiles across his part of the world to convince them of the saving power of Jesus. Now the rub of 2 Timothy is that Paul is writing to his protege, the one who will take up where Paul finishes off and continues on in the preaching of the word. It is a letter encouraging Timothy to be bold in his ministry and strong as he teaches. Aware of the many factions that don't support him and rail against Timothy and and the Christian message, Paul encourages him to play a straight bat when it comes to teaching the gospel. Not getting bogged down in trivialities or arguments, not being swayed by the ways of this world, but instead to teach what he himself was taught by his family as a kid and now by Paul, his mentor, as an adult. Paul is set upon imparting the importance of the scriptures to Timothy because they are useful in his ministry. In fact, they are essential. But there is more to the context of 2 Timothy. Paul at the time of writing this letter, is in jail in Rome. In 1 Timothy, he was aiming to get to Rome and now he is there and he's been put on trial and he's now in jail awaiting a verdict, which is almost certainly his death sentence. So Paul is awaiting execution in a Roman cell and so what he pens to Timothy here now are likely to be his final words. It ups the stakes immensely, doesn't it? What do you say in that circumstance? This is your final words. All the best. Go well. Go well, brother. But when you think about your final words, you want them to be the main thing. You want them to be important and weighty and rich, for it is distilled down to those final words the substance of what you want or need to impart. And to Paul, as he reaches out to Timothy for the final time, he exhorts him in 2 Timothy 4.1, in the full knowledge that he is about to be killed, he says this, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. His instruction to Timothy is to preach the word. And in today's passage, which is the passage right before this one, he says something very similar. Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul is big on Timothy sticking with the Bible. But not just reading it for himself, it is for him, it's for his congregation too. 
And looking wider at the book of 2 Timothy, it is for those who teach something different. And it is for those who believe, and it is also for those who do not believe. How can it be for all of those people? Well, it can only be for everyone if it is the truth. Only if it is the final word of God. Only if it contains what is good and true and noble and is able to make people wise for salvation. Can it be for everyone? can only be for everyone if it is true. Now, if the Bible is the truth, then that has ramifications. If it is the truth, then we must listen to its authoritative word. That means that our worldview is to be shaped by the Bible. Because the Bible is the truth. It means that we bend towards it rather than bending and shaping it around us and what we believe. We sit underneath the word of God. So what does the Bible say about how we treat others? What does the Bible say about how we treat minority groups? What does the Bible say about gender? What does the Bible say about how we treat the environment? What does the Bible say about how we raise our children? What does the Bible say about how we consider our working lives and careers? What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about slavery? What does the Bible say about money? And if we listen to the word, it will change us in every single facet of our lives. And if we believe it, it will change us in the most important way. We will meet Jesus, died, buried and risen and ascended here in the Bible. Now our worldview, a biblical worldview, won't necessarily make us popular. The Christian church has had a rough couple of millennia considering what the Bible says and then stuffing up the communications. Don't get me wrong. Some Christian people have had a disappointing disposition towards correcting and rebuking and forgetting to be gentle and kind, peace-loving and gracious, forgetting to speak the truth in love. But if it is the truth, then it is something that must be reckoned with and must be obeyed. But we should probably stop here for a moment and just consider what the Bible actually is. What are the scriptures? Well, the Apostle Peter writes in 2 Peter 1 verse 20, he says this, You must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The collections of books that make up the Bible started with the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they were subsequently added to as God inspired the leaders of the Israelites, the prophets, the priests and even the kings throughout their history to write down all sorts of stuff. Accounts, history, wisdom, poetry, songs... 
And certainly by Jesus' time, the Old Testament is all sewn up. How do we know this? Well, because Jesus himself refers to the Scriptures time and time again as the authoritative word of God. Think of when Jesus stood up in the synagogue and took the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4. He both knew that this was Scripture and at the same time knew that on that day he was the fulfilment of that Scripture. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, think, think of when he references back to guys like Jonah or Elijah or David, or Moses, or Solomon, or Daniel, or references something in the sweep of the Old Testament. He does it constantly throughout the Gospels. And as the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus plays out, and we enter into the mid-first century, the recordings of Jesus' life and teaching was written down and recorded. Paul wrote letters, and they were copied. Peter and others did the same and the apostles' life and times was also recorded. And all throughout, the Holy Spirit was guiding the writer's hand and carrying them all along. And so the Bible was consolidated and pulled together as a set of texts that leaned in on each other, which spoke to each other that demonstrated a cohesion and demonstrated a phenomenal consistency to the point where the whole of what we call the Bible today wonderfully leans in on and supports itself, trussed up by all the rest. Now, this was tested by the early church at numerous councils and was tested again at the Reformation. And what we have here today is essentially what has been concurred since it was first brought together in those early days of Christianity. Within the Bible itself, there's such complementing and consistency across the whole breadth of Scripture that it is nothing short of a miracle and God's handiwork that it has been pulled together and holds itself together with such splendour and grace. There is... This amazing graphic of biblical cross-references that indicates a conceptual link between verses, some 64,000 of them. The bar graph along the bottom is every chapter of every book of the Bible, whilst the arcs and colours represent the link and the distance between the two verses that are linked. It's quite pretty, isn't it? I like it. And what it is getting at is that the Bible supports and buttresses itself. It hangs together in a perfect and amazing harmony. But the Bible is more than that. I reckon the longest bar, you can see it in the middle there, I reckon that is Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says this, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. Yeah, that's nice, but that is nicer. In fact, that's nothing short of amazing. It is the substance of the scriptures that is the truly exciting thing. 
That is what the psalmist thought as they meditated on the scriptures. That is what Paul thought and, what, and that is what he exhorts Timothy to pursue now. This is not just words on a page. It is words to live by, to understand and to obey and to enjoy and to be guided by all of our days. The Bible is where we meet God. It is where we come to listen to God. Because the Bible is given to us by God himself as his complete and most consequential word to us. The scriptures are living and active and we are made wise for salvation through them. And it is here where we see God loving his people. His character shining through in the historical and biblical accounts. And we see God's love expressed in his son Jesus at the cross which is the spot upon which all of Scripture hinges, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The book of Hebrews starts with this verse. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so the Bible is where we find life through Jesus because it is there that we hear the message of the gospel. That is why Paul is so insistent on Timothy's reliance on it and his preaching of it because it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. So let's briefly pick apart those four ideas about the usefulness of Scripture before we finish on that same Jesus, the Son of God. The Bible is useful for teaching. Timothy was taught the Scriptures from a young age by his grandmother and his mother. To think that he was learning about David and Goliath and hearing stories about the history of the Israelites, the same as what we do today, is a pretty cool idea, isn't it? But what is it about those stories that we are teaching to our kids right now that matters? Well, it is not just morals and doing the right thing. Now, the Old Testament is a character lesson in God. His place as king over all and a wonderful and large display of his character, his love for his people, which moves us quickly towards Jesus. Each one of those Bible stories that are being taught in kids' church is a building block for a sound knowledge and a deeper understanding of God and his love for us. But it's for the adults too. Because we need to hear of the goodness of God to his people in Jesus. Whether we're Christian or not, it is still true. And so it is still relevant to all. Preach the word is what Paul tells Timothy in his final words. Not preach a good sermon. Not preach a popular message. Not preach whatever pops into your head. If we are not preaching from the Bible and listening to it, and building our lives and our worldview around what it says, then we will drift away from the truth. Because we can find truth and clarity 
in the Bible. If whoever is in this pulpit is not preaching the word of God each week to us, if we're only getting up and providing an entertaining half hour of quips, if we haven't got something from the scriptures, then we are being shortchanged. It is important that we are sitting under the word of God, being taught by it, hearing what it says and changing our hearts and our lives to be in sync. Well, the Bible is useful for rebuking. Timothy had a pretty hard gig, I reckon. He seemed to be a little bit more timid than Paul and his congregation and his community appeared to be, well, not dissimilar to any other church and surrounding community in history, really. Paul describes them here in 2 Timothy 3 verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Well, Timothy was asked to rebut, rebuke and speak alongside and against prevailing teachers and heresies of the day. This is inside the church where people were going on with godless chatter and frivolous arguments and outside as well where people wage war against Christianity. And Timothy's response was to preach the word, to counter this kind of attitude with the truth, to be able to speak into an opinion or an argument with something that is rock solid. Now hopefully we're not that much like what Paul describes here probably are. I'm hoping that we've all been rebuked by scripture at some point or other. That is what happens when you come up against the truth and clarity around what is true and right when you're a sinner. It shines a light on areas where we are wrong and then it, ta- and then it is up to us to work with that. It's a hard thing though to challenge someone to rebuke someone with a word from Scripture. Exactly what Paul was telling Timothy to do. Now, it was his job as a leader of his congregation to do this, but it is no less difficult to do. And this is where we are warned to check ourselves first. In Luke 6, 41, Jesus suggests that we take the plank out of our own eye before worrying about the speck of sawdust in our brother's eye. And here in 2 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy to rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. We don't lord it over people or be harsh or think lowly of them. But in everything, we are to be as God is, loving and peace-seeking in reconciliation. And in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says this, Opponents must be gently instructed, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil 
who has taken them captive to do his will. Well, rebuking is never pleasant, but it is so important as we seek our righteousness. Well, where rebuking implies a willful action that requires a more head-on response, so to speak, correcting is the idea of coming alongside and providing a bit of a push in the right direction. It is the soft diplomacy of pointing an ignorant person on a better trajectory. We've all been corrected by the Bible's teaching at some time or another. It is when we learn something from a sermon or are convicted of something that needs to change. That is correcting. The idea of correction implies that the person needing to be corrected doesn't have necessarily have an idea that they're wrong, whereas rebuking implies that there may be some level of complicity and stubbornness. Either way, rebuking and correcting are there to chip the sharper edges off us and mould us more into the likeness of Jesus. And finally, we come to training in righteousness. Reading the Word, meditating on it and considering it, swirling it round in your mind or thinking on it over the course of an evening's Bible study and then deciding to change as a result and working hard at changing as a result. And as we heard last week, the biggest change is the one that you're unable to do yourself. That is when God himself, through his spirit and by his word, convicts you of sin and unrighteousness and awakens in you that conviction and then pulls you so forcefully and gently and mercifully and graciously towards Jesus. And the biggest change is when the Holy Spirit works in us our understanding of the gospel. That Jesus has saved me by dying on the cross and that I am brought to faith in that same Lord Jesus. We've spoken about righteousness before, the rightness of God to punish sin and save the sinner. Well, being made righteous is our participation in all of that. We are made free from the guilt of sin and death. We're justified. And so training in righteousness is our response to being made righteous. We continue on in it and we work hard at it. Everything that reading the Bible accomplishes in you through teaching and rebuking and correcting is aimed at increasing your righteousness so you'll be thoroughly equipped. But note too that it is training in righteousness and not righteousness by training. We do not earn what we have in Christ. It is freely given and so we respond to that gift by working hard at being Christians, being who we are, righteous. It is good to read our Bibles. It is good to meditate on Scripture and to remember it in times of need. But mostly, it is good to enjoy the character of God, the righteousness of God and his love for us in Jesus. Well, we work through these things so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is what the Bible does. It equips us with what we need for a life of being a Christian, a life of serving the Lord. So if I am to sum up the Bible, 
Here's my go at it. Here is what God is like. Here is what Jesus has done. Here is some wisdom and guidance to navigate life and be a faithful servant and the Spirit will be with you every step of the way on into eternity where Jesus is King. And so let us finish on Jesus who is described as the Word of God. The Bible is about God, his love for his Son and his love for his people. And so as the perfect Son of God, what Jesus says matters. And what Jesus says is the truth. And in John 5.24, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Amen.